you have your Bibles, would you open up with me to John chapter 21. This is the fifth week where we have walked through Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We have seen his death and resurrection, and then three post-resurrection appearances. Uh, he interacted on the road to Emmaus with the disciples who were sad in despair over his uh, apparent departure. Uh, you heard from Ricky a week ago about Jesus appearing to the disciples and to Thomas, and then this morning, John chapter 21, Jesus interacts with his followers and narrows in on Peter. And so a question I want to ask as we get started this morning is is simply this, where do you turn when you've blown it? Uh, Where do you turn when you've seen inside your own heart and what you see is not good? You don't like what you see, and maybe there's that shame and there's that uh, guilt, and it makes you want to go into hiding. Uh, It's something for me that is kind of a weekly and daily occurrence, even in preparing to teach, preparing to preach, because I'm uh, reading something and discovering something for myself that is true of God and true of His posture towards me and true of my posture towards Him, and understanding that there's things that I know about God that are up here that haven't gotten uh, to here yet. There's things that really matter to him that seem to not matter all that much to me. Uh, Jesus came uh, to seek and to save uh, the lost. Jesus came to serve, and I often find myself wanting to be served. My job is to make much of Jesus, and I find myself wanting to make much of myself. And so when I see those things, the thought is, I want to go hide. I don't want to come up on stage and talk and try, and try to explain uh, this to anyone else. I want to go and hide and, and work through these things myself. Uh, what do you do when you, you see in your heart and you, and you see that sin? Uh, anyone ever go into hiding? Anyone want to go into hiding and not have what's there ever come to the surface? Maybe for you, could be related to your your tongue or, or your temper. Maybe maybe this was the capstone on a rough month, and your coworker, son, daughter, spouse, sibling, friend, neighbor got on your last nerve in the middle of a long week, in the midst of a terrible month, and you erupted this week, and you can't unsee the look on their faces when they were hearing your words. You can't unhear the sound of your own voice, uh, even in disbelief, the things that were coming out of your mouth. Where do you turn when you realize you've blown it? Uh, Jesus is going to come to Peter in our passage this morning. and Jesus is not going to ignore it. He's not going to belittle it. He's going to deal with the issue. He's going to bring Peter into his presence for a very intimate conversation with Jesus. He's going to take Peter's sin and take it out of the darkness and put it into the light. And that's something that terrifies us, right? We, we mask and we cope and we hide. Jesus is going to bring it out of the darkness into the light, not because Jesus is punitive, not because Jesus is vindictive, but because Jesus is going to serve and save and set free Peter for his purposes. Uh, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 21, let's set the context as Jesus is going to come and he's going to serve his disciples. And this is the situation they find themselves when Jesus calls Peter in for a chat with dad. John 21, let's read the first 14 verses. It says this, after this, 
Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were there together. How many of you would like to be the two others? Like everyone else gets their name, their nickname, this guy from Wilbur, this guy from Eastern Oregon, and then two others. So John does all sorts of somewhat comical things uh, in his writing. He often refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Just as day was breaking, or sorry, verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Verse 4, Jesus, as day was breaking, stood on the, store, on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, there it is, the disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. Verse 9, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and he gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Uh, the book of John is going to present Jesus as fully God. Matthew uh, presents Christ as king, uh, Mark as servant, and Luke presents Jesus as fully man. Uh, the emphasis in John is on Jesus' divine nature. And so we see throughout this book evidences of Jesus' self-initiating effort to reveal himself to different groups of people. His first miracle in Cana, the, the end of that story, it says that he did these things to manifest his glory, to show them who he was, and the outcome was that they believed. And so I just want us to see here that Jesus is going to his followers, to his disciples. He is initiating this effort. He is presenting to him, himself to them, revealing to him, to them who he is, their faith in him, their confidence in him, their ability to one day go forth as ones sent by him is a function of his initiation, of his pursuit of them. Think back to a time maybe when it was crystal clear to you that the Lord was pursuing you and directing you. What was that, that season of life like or that moment where maybe a light switch turned on or off and it was just crystal clear what God wanted for you or the direction he wanted you you to go. For me, the decision to go into seminary was something that happened over a couple years, but there was an instance, a moment where it was crystal clear that that's what was next for me. And, and so when you understand and have the sense that Jesus has 
intervened in your life, that he's attentive to your circumstances, attentive to the things that are present before you and leading and directing in unmistakable ways. It is so emboldening. It gives you this sense that you can go anywhere, that you can do anything, even if you don't have the answers to your questions, the means to make it possible or a plan for how it's going to unfold. Our confidence is a function of Jesus' initiation, of him pursuing us. And so we see here that Jesus, in verse 1, reveals himself to his followers. And what's interesting, or many things are interesting, what's interesting to me is uh, you have Peter, and the moment Jesus is revealed to Peter, Peter jumps out of the boat and tries to outswim the boat. I don't know how many of you are, are good swimmers, but I'm guessing not many of us can outswim a boat. But that's what Peter does. Peter gets out of the boat and tries to swim to shore, and then when the boat gets to shore, The text says that Peter goes into the boat, grabs all the fish, and tries to drag them to Jesus. One of the interesting things that we see about Peter throughout the text is Peter is often comparing himself to those around him. He is often comparing himself to the other disciples for the purpose of elevating himself and to show to Jesus and to others that he's up here. He's disciple numero uno. He is the self-sufficient, independent confident, most capable. Uh, if it's his annual or a high school yearbook, he is most likely to succeed. You remember maybe where Jesus is talking and talking about his coming death. And Peter looks around and says, even if all of these desert you, because they're down here, Peter says, I will never desert you. I would go to the death for you, Jesus. Peter is constantly comparing himself. Uh, Peter is the overachiever, uh, and the sense that we get here is that Peter is perpetually needing to prove himself to himself, to God, uh, and to others. And so what's interesting is you have Jesus with his incredible invitation to his followers to come and have breakfast on the beach with Jesus. Breakfast on the beach with Jesus, and Peter is swimming to be first to shore. First to get to Jesus. I can do it. Pick me. And then he goes and he grabs all the fish and tries to haul them to Jesus. Uh, I wonder how many of our lives look more like Peter trying to earn Jesus' approval, striving to be first to be best in contrast with what Jesus' invitation actually is to them all to sit and to have breakfast with Jesus on the beach. It doesn't mean that life with Jesus is not uh, does not include hard work and, and diligence. Um, but just there's this sense that it is much harder for a person to be saved out of self-righteousness. It is much harder for a person to be saved from a moral, even religious lifestyle than from just outright, clear-as-day lostness. What do we see in, in the New Testament as far as what the early church is made up of. We see the Jews and we see the religious leaders and they have the law. They know the law. They have tried to present themselves as having mastery over the law. All of the details, looking down at the Gentiles. The Gentiles don't belong. The Gentiles aren't part of God's plan. They are God's special people. God has special things for them and the church is built out of the Gentiles. Paul is sent to the Gentiles. They are a significant part of God's plan. It is often 
in our lives much easier for the Lord to pull us out of being just as lost as can be than to pull us out of this desire to prove worthy of Jesus' favor, to prove um, worthy of his friendship, to prove worthy of a position of right standing before God. And so we just see that Peter is constantly trying to prove himself and earn it. And so I wonder if anyone... Uh, is in that boat where following Jesus has become maybe a list of do's and don'ts. Following Jesus has become a, a spiritual checklist, and as long as you're checking most of the boxes or maybe more than half the boxes, you feel like you're close to him or you feel like you're in a good groove. And in many cases, Jesus has invited us to breakfast on the beach uh, with Jesus, and, and we turn it into a striving kind of thing. Maybe I, I think of marriage uh, Sometimes I feel like if I can mow the lawn, maybe help clean the house, keep the kids clothed and uh, somewhat in order, that that's what it looks like to be a good husband to my wife. And I think she does value those things, but ultimately she wants more than a like gardener slash nanny, right, for a husband. She wants, she wants more than that. She wants a, a relationship uh, with me, and so sometimes we turn our relationship to the Lord into this sort of like hybrid of gardener slash nanny position. Uh, And Peter is going to have to come face to face with his insufficiency because he thinks he's sufficient. Peter is going to have to come face to face with his shortcomings because he thinks he can do it by himself. And Jesus is going to invite him into that here. Um, There's 153 fish. That's a weird detail to include. There's a whole bunch of speculation. Why 153 fish? Why is that? Uh, recorded. Uh, From the best that I can tell, there's not necessarily a significant reason, save that it is crystal clear that the disciples on their own, as expert fishermen, couldn't fill their nets. They were dependent upon Jesus every day that he was with them, and they will be dependent upon Jesus every day for the rest of their lives, even though he's not physically standing by their side. Of course, Peter, Mr. Sufficient, Mr. Independent, Mr. Confident. Not going to be a big fan of that. And Jesus is going to just welcome Peter in in this moment of failure. And Peter's failure is going to be a gateway to Jesus' grace. And Jesus' grace is going to be a gateway to all that God has for him. Uh, If you have your Bibles open to John 21 still, let's pick up back the story as Jesus focuses in now on this conversation with Peter. Uh, Jesus has served his followers by coming to them. Jesus has served them by preparing a meal. Jesus has served them by inviting them into fellowship. And now Jesus is going to focus on Peter. John 21, starting in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. Verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me, follow me. This is a passage that that many of us are familiar with. Jesus three times with Peter. Peter, do you love me? Peter three times in some way, shape, or form. You know that I love you. You know my heart. Of course I do. Jesus three times. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. What is going on here uh, with Jesus? It's been said that uh, for a Christian, the most significant moment in any Christian's life is the moment they encounter the grace of God. Peter is encountering Jesus' grace as he comes to Jesus shamefully, as he comes to Jesus fully in tune of his sin and his shortcomings, and he discovers that Jesus is not going to be punitive, Jesus is not going to be vindictive, Jesus is going to be restorative, and Jesus does does this uh, with the whole group present. Presumably they're all gathered around the fire and they're having this conversation. And I think it's significant to consider that Jesus often restores us to community uh, with each other. Certainly they knew of Peter's shortcomings. Read through any gospel and you will read Peter's shortcomings over and over. They are loud. They are upfront. Everyone is fully aware that Peter repeatedly puts his foot in his mouth. And Jesus, in the presence of all these, says, Peter, you are not who they think you are. You are not simply what you've done. You are not simply the uh, aggregate of your past choices, past foolishness. Jesus says, you are who I have said you are. You are who I have made you to be. Some of you are familiar with 2 Corinthians where Paul describes followers of Christ as new creations. Can you just see Jesus here saying, Peter, you are a new creation. Feed my sheep. You aren't who they think you are. You know, one of the things that is challenging for us with forgiveness is we've all asked forgiveness of someone for something and had the sense that our sin was never forgiven, had the sense that our sin was never forgotten, had the sense that that sin created distance between us and that person that still exists Today, Jesus is saying that is not how it works in the kingdom of God. And he is restoring Peter in the presence of his followers. Not only does Jesus restore Peter into community, he restores Peter to himself. Peter doesn't give a very elaborate response. Peter doesn't say, come on, Jesus, it had been a long day. I thought they were going to attack me. I thought I was in danger. I didn't actually mean it. He just says, he says, Lord, you know my heart. You know that I love you. And Jesus doesn't even feel the need. John doesn't record Jesus feeling the need to have a debate with Peter implicitly. Yeah, I know your heart, Peter. Yeah, I know that you love me, Peter. Implicitly. Get back to work. Feed my lambs. He restores Peter into the community of the believers. He restores Peter to himself, and he restores Peter into the mission of God. Uh, Interestingly enough, all four Gospels end with some sort of commissioning 
where we're instructed to take what we've learned and now go do something with it. Where like-mindedness with Jesus or oneness with Jesus produces like-mindedness with Jesus. All four Gospels and with some sort of commissioning. And here Peter is sent out. The evidence of his forgiveness, the evidence of his position with Jesus is to overflow in pastoral care for caring for Jesus' people. He's put back into mission. A couple interesting things about this setting. Uh, One, uh, they're around a campfire. And you recall from Peter's epic failure the night of Jesus' death that they were around a campfire where Peter denied Jesus. Peter denies Jesus three times, and Jesus looks at Peter and asks him this line of questioning three times. Another thing that's really uh, fascinating is Peter's call to follow Jesus in Luke 5 centers around a very similar narrative where he's been fishing, doesn't catch anything. Jesus looks and says, hey, let your nets down again. Peter agrees to do what Jesus has asked him to do. The haul of fish is so great that it says the boats start to sink and the nets start to break. Uh, From Luke 5, uh, listen to how Peter responds to Jesus in that moment. And when they had done this, they enclosed, a lar- they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to the partners in another boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled with the boat so that they might begin to sink. Verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down on his knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. At the beginning, when Peter sees the holiness of Jesus in comparison to his unholiness, the power of Jesus compared to his powerlessness, he drops to his knees and says, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. But something has changed, because now in John 21, the holiness of Jesus causes John or Peter to run to Jesus, not to run away from Jesus. What has happened? He's getting it, right? He's getting that his standing before Jesus is based on Jesus' merit, not his merit. He's starting to get that his position before the God of the universe is secured and made sufficient by what Jesus did, not by anything that Peter has done. And you start to see more of a oneness here between Jesus and Peter. Peter doesn't run from him. Peter runs to him. makes me think of uh, when we go hiking with the kids uh, who packs the snacks mom and dad who gets all the clothes out all the gear out mom and dad who plans the hike make sure it's not too long make sure there's a nice destination mom and dad who ends up carrying a kid I only did it once because it hurt so bad for a week that I'll never do it again. I massively overestimated my own strength. But you know who ate all our snacks? The kids. You know who enjoyed the hike? The kids. You know who enjoyed the waterfall or whatever was at the end of the hike? 
The kids. You know who came back after the hike and had fresh legs? The kids. You know who weren't sore at all? The kids. You know who did the heavy lifting? Me. All they had to do was say, Daddy up. Daddy up. I think Peter is starting to get that Jesus does all the heavy lifting. I think Peter is starting to get that it's not about how fast he runs, how fast he swims, what good things he thinks he can do or might be able to do at some point in the future. I think he's starting to get that Jesus does the heavy lifting. And Jesus tells him, after saying, feed my sheep, he tells him the means by which he's going to die. He tells him that he will be crucified. And I think some of us, we read that and we think, oh, great. (laughs) Send me out, Jesus. (laughs) You know, what kind of bad news is that? What's really interesting, though, is What did Peter want to do more than anything? Be found faithful. What did Peter want to do more than anything? Go the extra mile with Jesus, for Jesus. And Jesus says, Peter, you're going to do it. You're getting your spiritual second wind right now, and you're going to do it. And we're going to do such great things, Peter, that you will one day be martyred for your faith. You will be counted worthy, says, to glorify God in your means of death. I think Peter was probably encouraged. God's saying, spiritual second wind now Let's go. This is going to be awesome. Now, many of you have been there with the Lord. Uh, Some moment of epic failure, and then your sense of His grace washing over your failure, your sense of His approval, His love for you, that it's unconditional, that it hasn't wandered, waned, he hasn't left, has washed over you, and it's caused you to just want to cling to him. And so you would imagine here that Peter is just groveling at Jesus' feet in praise of his Savior who has seen his ugliness, seen the worst of him, has loved him anyway. Jesus, failed by Peter, in Jesus' greatest moment of need, loves Peter, runs to Peter, forgives Peter, restores Peter. You might think at this point that Peter is ready to go. Let me add him, Jesus. Who do you want me to preach to? Jesus. Let's go, Jesus. You know what Peter does? Like the very next verse. Peter, Mr. Sufficient, disciple numero uno, falls into the comparison trap. Listen to this. Peter turned, and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Hey, Lord, what about this man? What do you think Jesus is thinking at the moment where he has just now done so much for Peter, and Peter's like, well, what about John? You ever got in trouble or kids get in trouble, and they're like, well, what about my brother? He hit me first. What about my sister? She made the mess. Peter is comparing to John in this incredible moment where he is, the grace of Jesus is just washed over him, and he's comparing his life, comparing Jesus' plans for him to what Jesus has planned for this other man. How many of us need to take our focus off of somebody else and put our focus clearly, solely on Jesus? Peter is starting to get it, that man, there's so much work to be done Jesus says to him, if it is my will that he remains until I come. In other words, if I want him to never die, Peter, if it's my will that he remains until I come, what 
is that to you. You follow me. Jesus doesn't waste any time with Peter's question here. What is that to you, Peter? You follow me. Peter is starting to get Jesus' grace. He still falls into the comparison trap. If you're here this morning and your eyes are fixed on somebody else, anyone else, take your focus and put it solely on Jesus. Some of you are familiar with the passage in in Matthew where Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you are a rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The gates of hell will not overpower it. In other words, Peter, we're going to build the church, and it's going to be indestructible, and you are going to be a significant part of that building process. I don't think Peter was chosen in spite of his failures. I think Peter was chosen because of his failures, because his failures were the gateway to the grace of Jesus, and the grace of Jesus opened the door for everything that Jesus wanted to do in and through his life. We have a tragic condition when we try to hide, minimize, explain, rationalize, blame away uh, our sin and keep it in the darkness when Jesus intends to bring it into the light, not to be punitive and vindictive and condemning, but to start that spiritual second wind. He's going to build the church with Peter, not despite his shortcomings, because of his failures that were the gateway to Jesus' grace. And his grace was the gateway to all that Jesus wanted to do in him and through him. If you're here this morning and in some way, shape, or form, you need the grace of Jesus to wash over your life, to undo the lies the enemy has said about you, that you are defined by your past, you are defined by your mistakes, you are defined by this season of life. If you're here this morning and needed the grace of Jesus to wash over, you've been striving and trying to make your relationship with the Lord something where you prove worthy, where you prove deserving of his favor, where you prove worthy of some sort of privileged position, where you prove worthy of of him doing good things for you. Stop the striving. Stop the longing, the yearning. Stop trying to do. Would you be content with breakfast on the beach with Jesus? We're going to have prayer teams up front. Uh, They're going to come forward as the band comes forward. I'd just like to invite you to, in some way, shape, or form, uh, give thought to what it means to do business with Jesus, to allow him to bring your sin from darkness into light. Maybe that means you need to have a tough conversation with someone this week. If that's the case, would you allow our prayer team to be a part of that and allow them just to pray with you, to encourage you to take that step this week? If you're here and you're in spiritual darkness. You've never encountered the grace of Jesus. You've never had that moment where he's intervened and redirected your life, that passing from death to life, that once and for all washing, that once and for all forgiveness. Would this morning be the morning that you would say yes, that you would, in a sense, say, Daddy, up. Uh, Jared Allen, uh, author, says the only deal that Jesus is willing to make with us is his righteousness for our guilt and our surrender. See, we tend to barter with him. All right, God, I'll I'll do better. I'll be better. This won't happen again. I'll be better, and just don't let it be found out. I'll be better, and just take care of this thing that I've messed up. I'll be better. We're good, right? He says the only deal that Jesus is willing to make is his righteousness for our guilt and our surrender. Jesus gets our guilt. We get his righteousness. Peter's failures with a gateway 
to the grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus was the gateway to all that Jesus wanted to do in him and through him. When we say no to our failures, when we keep our failures in the dark, we say no to his plan, no to his power, no to his presence, no to his purposes, no to his ways. Say yes. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word that it speaks to our hearts. Lord, that your spirit takes it where it needs to go. Your spirit convicts us of sin. Your spirit directs us. Your spirit corrects us. And we would ask that directing and correcting work to be happening in our hearts right now and as we go about our week. May we be people who are able to forgive as Jesus was able to forgive because we have truly experienced his grace and we are now free from burdening others with a burden that we have tried to carry for too long. But I think this is what it means to that your burden is light. Lord, that we are invited to breakfast on the beach with Jesus. It's not about all that we can do or think we might be able to do for you. Thank you, Lord, that you love us in spite of that, that our position before you is secure because of the sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice, not because of anything that we can do. Lord, for those here who need to have a serious encounter with your grace, may you interrupt them. Lord, you interrupted the disciples' fishing trip. You interrupted them in the ordinary events of their day. We invite your interruption. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.